0: Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, I'm glad that you're joining us today. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you guys have been with us for the last number of weeks, but we've been really seeking, we've been uh, kind of on this journey To answer the question, what does it mean to be saved? Beyond just kind of the Christianese, you know, the kind of lingo that exists when we throw out terms like being saved, uh, we really wanted to kind of unpack it and look at it what does it actually mean to be saved? Answering the question, what are we even saved from? How are we saved? What are we saved by? What are we saved for? What is the purpose of our salvation? And all of this was supposed to be a one-week sermon. It was just supposed to be one sermon that I had started writing and I was going to share on a Sunday morning. And I quickly realized, um, it, it wasn't actually that quickly that I realized, but uh, <laughs> that it was just uh, a bigger topic that I could kind of chew off on a Sunday morning. We would have been here uh, through Sunday morning into Sunday night and probably into Monday morning if uh, I would have continued down that route and so we kind of broken it up into a couple different topics where we were talking about what are we saved from, what are we saved by, and what are we saved for. And then, of course, that broke down into more topics. In the last three weeks, friends, we've been talking about uh, how Jesus saves us from sin, how he delivers us from the power of the devil, how he saves us literally from hell. And uh, can you imagine those topics like aren't the... Most fun, like leading up to like an Easter service, like they don't really market very well. Hey, come to Open Door Church, we're going to tell you all about sin and the devil and hell. Woo party! Nobody, oh there's a great big spider just running across the crowd right here. Wow, did you guys see that? I could see that from way up here. You guys could see that from the back row. It's a big freaking spider. <laughs> <clears throat> Come to Open Door Church where we have sin, the devil, hell, and spiders that are really big. <laughs> so with that, um, I, uh, I in my infinite wisdom had laid out a plan to where on Easter Sunday, because I had the calendar in front of me, I had the right date this year, I was going to line it up and today we were going to talk about how we're saved, what we're saved by, and it was going to flow and fit nice together. It was going to be epic, and you got to be like, wow, Nate planned this from months ago, and you were going to be really impressed and give me a gold star, and then my family and I got sick. We were going to flesh out John chapter 3, and uh It was going to be really kind of impressive. We're going to talk about being saved through faith in Jesus. Every time I sat down to really flesh out John chapter 3 this week, and uh, something, you know, I've had a a sticky note up on my wall in my office. It's not on my wall. It's actually on my computer monitor. Kind of mapping out this. I, I was going to flesh it out and really go into detail. I was thinking, man, this is going to be like... The Easter sermon to end all Easter sermons. Like, they're gonna, it's gonna be like trending on Instagram. People are gonna have TikToks of me. They're gonna like, I'm gonna have like uh, Hillsong, and oh, maybe that's not a great one right now. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be having like those great big churches like knocking on our door, and be like, yo, where did you get that message from? That's like groundbreaking. And the reality of it is, friends, as I was thinking about how this morphs and uh, there, was, uh, there was the human part of me as a pastor that, man, really just wants to knock it out of the park for Easter Sunday. You know, like, I want to, I want to impress you with how awesome I am as a pastor. You know, the, that, that human, fleshly, terrible motivation kind of stuff was just dwelling up inside of me. And I was sitting here discouraged going over my Easter sermon out of John chapter 3 thinking man, it's, uh, I don't have like, I don't have like this awesome illustration, you know, I don't have like chainsaw Jesus or like pyrotechnics or like some kind of like crazy live animal display. And I was sitting here thinking like, man, I want this to be memorable. I want this to be impactful. And really got convicted by the Holy Spirit, if I'm honest, friends. Um, and I love that. I love it when he does that because he kind of brings me back and he grounds me in reality in reminding me, friends, that we don't need, uh, we don't need some kind of extra. We don't need to add some pizzazz to the gospel message to make it more impactful. And as I was uh, being brought to brought back to reality by the Holy Spirit, um, I'm reminded that there isn't better good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, the good news that he came to save, the good news of the message of John 3.16, which we're going to talk about today, that God so loved the world is the most profound message that has ever existed. And no amount of extra stuff I tried to add to it to make it more memorable or more impactful was going to do it justice. And so my prayer this morning for us today is that we wouldn't get caught up in trying to be showy or trying to, trying to experience something or, or look at it from that perspective, but I'm asking that for those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe those of us not so much, those of us that are really familiar and can quote John 3.16 in like six different languages, and those of us that can't find it in our Bible, that we would let the truth of that message change us and that it would actually impact our lives. I want, I want to be here today. I don't care if you've been serving Jesus for the last 80 years and you came out of your mother's womb, like, saved with a halo above your head. You do not get to graduate from the simple message that God so loved the world. I know we can kind of throw it around and people wear it, at like... Uh, I was gonna, What are sporting events? Uh, football games, right? They paint it on their faces and we see it all over social media and you can slap it on a bumper sticker. <coughs> but I don't want the familiarity of it to lose its impact. Just because it's familiar, just because it's something that we're associated with, doesn't give us permission to graduate from you. And so oftentimes, I feel like this is where I would tell you, well, guys, I I had this planned, but the Lord, like, spun it on its head, and then, you know, I've got something different for you today. And I don't have that today. This might be the first time in existence that I'm saying that from this pulpit. I have something that I've prepared for weeks now that, honestly, I wrestled with. It's like, like, is this, like, edgy enough for, like, an Easter Sunday? Like, is this, like is this like cool enough for us to actually preach? And I can tell you, yes, it is. (laughs) It's more so than that. And if anything, I did the inverse of what normally happens where I took something that the Lord gave me and I tried to add Nate to it and every itineration of it just stunk (laughs) to high heaven. And I was like trying to like bounce ideas off of my family and like thinking like, oh, what if I did this? I almost texted Tim this morning to see if he had like a life preserver um, to see like, man, I could add that into my sermon and man, I just have to let you know that I am not going to cave into the pressure of performance today to try to give you something that the Lord didn't speak to me. And so we're going to be in John chapter three. Sound like a plan? I believe God's word is powerful enough to stand on its own, so John 3:16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 17 is really where I want to highlight the beginning of this message and really is kind of our our anchor point into our theme of we're talking about what we're saved by. And so when I started mapping out this teaching quite a while ago, I can't give you the exact date, um, it was, like I said, it initially supposed to be a one-week sermon instead of this kind of multi-month series. I had initially planned on talking uh, out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, right, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That was going to be my like, hinge point because it was easy. It was like, what are we saved by? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. We're going to really expand that and talk about it. But I started to dig a little deeper. We're actually going to come back to that verse here in a little bit. But I started to dig deeper into Scripture. And uh, I have a list that was compiled of 27 distinct things that Scripture ascribes to our salvation. Like, I mean, very, very clear, quickly here, I'll read some of them. I don't know if I'll read all of them, but we, we have in John six sixty three that Christ's words are ascribed to our salvation or the Holy Spirit. You can look at that in John 16. Faith in Romans 10. Repentance in Luke 13. Baptism even in Mark 16. God himself. We're here there in John three sixteen, 16. Uh, Christ's work. Uh, calling on his name. Christ's name. Christ's resurrection. Christ's death right? Uh, those would be great ones to preach on an Easter Sunday, would they not? Um, hope, confession of faith, hearing, preaching, fire. That's in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, the gospel, love, grace, ourselves. <laughs> that's uh, we, We'll talk about that one later. Uh, the love of truth, Christ, heeding and continuing in doctrine, God's mercy, obedience, Christ's blood, works of faith. These were all different distinct things that had a direct connection that scripture ascribed to part of our salvation. And so my initial response was like, oh yeah, I've got 27 points here. Great. Let's turn that into 27 weeks of preaching on what we're saved by. I know what I'm preaching for the rest of the year. Uh (laughs) (coughs) Woo! I'm joking, but All of these attributes, very simply, very plainly, these uh, these, uh, attributes of salvation, these things that Scripture ascribes to salvation, what we're saved by, they can be wrapped up in the simple answer of Jesus. We see these things, and maybe, maybe they're a sliver, maybe they're a piece of what's going on with how we're saved, but at the end, they all come back to Jesus, His entire purpose is defined there in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. His reason for coming, His M.O. was to save, right? We've talked about that later on in John. It says that He came to, or we actually talk about it in Luke, where He came to seek and save those that are lost. We see Jesus' purpose. We see his reason here manifest that the world might be saved through Jesus. And so, to answer the question this morning, to give a very succinct answer and like, We could wrap our books up and go home. What are we saved by? The answer is Jesus. And Jesus alone, specifically by placing faith in Jesus in his death and resurrection that we celebrate today. But there's, there's a little more to it. In verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him Would not perish, but have everlasting light, Everlasting life. What a promise. It's familiar to most of us. A lot of us. I I memorized this verse as a kid, long before I ever became a Christian. Like this was something that was just existed, And and unfortunately, I don't think that's quite the same way Uh, things are working in culture today. But... This was something that I knew. This was something that was ingrained in me, even at a young age. But I can honestly say I wrestled with understanding what it actually talked about. And I don't want us just because we've been saved or just because we've been Christians for, long, oh, for so long to just kind of casually just accept this memory verse that we have without actually looking at it in its entirety. What we have here is that we have God so loved. We have the supreme authority He loved the world. Guys, this is an insanely offensive thing to the Jews that Jesus was speaking with. Uh, In John chapter three, the whole dialogue of this chapter is taking place with a man named Nicodemus. uh, By the cover of night, secretly, he's a Pharisee. He's a high up religious leader, but he has genuine questions about Jesus. They have this conversation about being born again. And Jesus here. In this kind of dialogue, uh, really starts to unravel everything that was kind of pivotal to Jewish religious life. The first thing that he introduces there in John chapter three is this idea of being born again, and uh, the fact that we we as um, if we're to inherit the kingdom of God, if we're to enter into life with Jesus that we actually have to be born again. And Nicodemus has this like logical response to that question. How can a man be born again? Can he enter back into his mother's womb? Like that sounds like crazy talk, Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about how he's referencing being born of the Spirit, being born from above. There, there's a rebirth that happens. There's a renewing. It's something that isn't physical. It's something that God initiates. It's something that God uh, does. And it's crazy. But the perception of the Jew in Nicodemus' day that we're reading here in John chapter three was that uh, you were grafted into the promise of heaven. You were grafted into the promise of eternal life simply by being a Jew. Like your heritage was your salvation. The fact that you were Jewish gave you uh, the promise of eternal life, that you were a son of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter who, what kind of family tree you come from. You have to be born again because your, 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 uh, your earthly legacy does nothing for your eternal one. And Jesus enters this concept of being born again. But this is where it really starts to get crazy offensive for the Jew. And a lot of modern, uh, in Judaism today, still uh, has a crazy distaste for Jesus, especially not just because he claimed to be the Messiah, but the things that he said, where he said, God so loved the world. It's not here saying that God so loved the Jews. He's, he's, he's speaking in the entirety of the world Right? These, these are the same people that really had a strong distaste for the Samaritan <laughs> and those that were around them. Their, their perception of the coming Messiah, their perception of who Jesus was supposed to be was that he was going to overthrow those that were kind of picking on him <laughs> and that Jews were going to rise to power in a physical realm and that's not what Jesus came to do. It's crazy when you really start to break this down and start thinking about it. But God... Who so loved the whole world gave his only son <clears throat> that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I really want to break this down uh, in just a three simple things. We could talk about this for a really long time, but I'm going to do my best this morning to stay brief uh, that we really tackle this well. The first thing I want to talk about is eternal life. I'm not talking here this morning um, about like some kind of Indiana Jones like chalice or fountain of youth or something like that, that we get to live forever and ever and ever and ever kind of a deal. When Jesus promises eternal life here or everlasting life, there is the aspect that it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. But if that was the, the extent of your definition of what Jesus promises as eternal life, friends, you're missing, uh, you're, mis- you're missing the biggest part about it and that it's actually God as life, God it's actually life as God intended it. The promise of eternal life in Jesus is the promise of God's design for life to be implemented into your own. When we, when we look at this here, I don't want you to make the mistake that believing Jesus is just about the afterlife. It's about the here and now as well. Eternity doesn't just begin when you die. It begins here and now with the breath that you're currently breathing. And so when Jesus promises life and life eternally, uh, he's promising God's best version of life for you. Here and now and forever. What we read in John 10 is that the thief comes not only to, uh, the thief does not come except to steal to kill and to destroy but he comes that you may have life that they might have it more abundantly or life to the full or the new living translation would say a rich and satisfying life that is the promise that Jesus has for us when we when we're promised eternal life and I love the fact that we get to we get the promise of heaven we get the promise of, of no more suffering. We get the end of this book where we see the new Jerusalem with streets paved with gold. We, we, we get that. That's awesome. And I don't want to diminish that this morning, but I also don't want to make you feel like you're signing up just for something when you eventually croak. Like that's not what eternal life is referencing here in, uh, in this chapter. It's more than that. But not only do we get this promise of everlasting eternal life, <coughs> I really think it would be beneficial for us to look at this word, whoever believes. This is an all encompassing phrase. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, I want you to know that there is an invitation to belief in Jesus. A lot of us feel like we have to kind of get our act together first, that we've got to clean it up, or somehow, you know, God loves the whole world, but he just can't love me because I'm too big of a screw-up. That's not the case. That's a lie from the enemy. And uh, I, I think I think I can best uh, illustrate it with uh, something that I shared last week. Um, I shared uh, briefly um, about the parable of Jesus' wedding f- the Jesus' parable of the wedding feast out of Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22 verse 10, it says this, So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love this verse because it highlights here, Uh, The parable of the wedding feast is a parable of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, of uh, the invitation that Jesus has for us, and life into life abundantly. And it says that the the wedding hall here, the celebration was filled with people both bad and good. And it's something that I need you to understand, is that uh, your invitation to believe in Jesus, your invitation into this wedding feast, your invitation into this life and life abundantly, isn't based upon your morality. It isn't based upon how many good deeds you've done compared to how many bad deeds you've done. And if somehow you tip the cosmic scales, this cosmic scales that you would uh, somehow get on the right side of Jesus here. Your invitation to believe in Jesus is uh, all in... The invitation to believe in Jesus is all-encompassing. It's whoever. It's whoever will believe. It's extended to good people. It's extended to bad people. It was extended to me. You might think, oh, oh, yeah, Nate's a goody-two-shoes. I didn't always used to be this way. I was literally uh, worshiping the devil not like just some kind of like version of Satanism that is out there that is like really just atheism. I was actively practicing the occult, (laughs) uh, plotting murder 100% when Jesus found me. And I gave my life to him as a young boy. You know, I was 16 years old. And the course of my life drastically changed forever because of that. I wasn't a good person. <laughs> there was nothing good about me when Jesus reached in and changed my life. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked by who's there and who's not. I really do. I think we're going to be surprised. I, I, would, I would write up my list. And, you know, if I wrote up my list for the last 20 years of the people that I were sure were going to be in heaven and those that would never make it, I have seen those names on my list drastically switch and go back and forth. Not that I'm the, the ultimate, like, say-so and who gets to go to heaven and who, who doesn't. Don't, don't, like, twist my words or get confused there. <coughs> but that's the crazy part. You know, we talked about hell last week, and uh, I noticed a lot of our visitors that were here last week for me preaching on hell are not back. Um, <laughs> not apologizing for that, but... Ooh. Kind of anticipated that. But I think the sad reality is is that the road to hell is paved with good intention. I think there's a lot of a lot of good people that we would classify as, man, they're decent human beings that have not placed faith in Jesus. You know, and there's a lot of terrible people that have placed faith in Jesus. (laughs) And the beautiful thing about that is, is we don't stay terrible when we surrender our lives to the Lord, I think about the thief on the cross, right? And he didn't have a lot of time to make up for uh, all the wrong that he did, Suffer, suffering there alongside Jesus. But the promise was that he would see him in paradise because he believed that Jesus was who he said he was, placed faith in the Son of God. But where you wind up, the wedding feast, this place of celebration, this place of life. Jesus would define as eternal life or what Jesus would later talk about and he would contrast with is something he, he would even label as eternal death, a place of judgment. It's not based upon our morality. It's not a, based upon how much right or how much wrong you've done. It's based solely upon, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in him? It's based upon one thing, whoever believes. That's really what I want to talk about this morning because to believe is something that, man, it's kind of this concept that's hard for me to really wrap my mind around. I I don't know if you've used this language before, but uh, Kelly will ask me where something is. Um, like, where's the tape gun at, babe? I'll be like, oh, I believe it's in the shed. You know, it's, we kind of chalk it up to like more of like, I guess, you know, or I think it might be, <laughs> maybe over there. And we talk about belief. And I think a lot of times we confuse, especially when we're reading in Scripture, we confuse the word believe with think. And that's a dangerous thing when we're talking about eternity. That's a dangerous thing when we're talking about people's souls. If we kind of dilute the word that Jesus use here, uses here to believe, to simply just think about something. And as much as I'd like to preach this morning that all you have to do is think, to intellectually acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, repeat a prayer and be insured salvation, get a get-out-of-hell-free card we'd be taking things out of context. That would be the happy, easy way for me to go about this message. But I want to be honest, friends. Um, I think there's more to it than that. Before anybody kind of goes out on a limb and says, well, Pastor Nate, uh, you're trying to add to Scripture here. You're trying to make believing in Jesus. You're trying to make this salvation thing harder than it ought to be. And you're you're preaching a workspace salvation or something like that. I want to be very clear. I read it once. I'm going to read it again in Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I don't want anybody taking what I'm about to say here out of context, but I really do believe that uh, we don't actually wrestle with what it means to believe something. I believe that belief has this connotation of conviction behind it. It's not just the casual acknowledgement of something. I remember being like eight or nine years old. This was before... I had really been burned by the church and ran off into some dark stuff. But I remember going the I went like three or four times to a kid's church and uh, they did this sidewalk thing and the projects. They called it sidewalk Sunday school. They bring like puppets and stuff. And they would talk about this verse of scripture here, and they would just tell us that all we had to do was believe in Jesus. And I remember being like six, seven, eight years old. I, I really don't remember exactly. I was young, young enough to not remember how old I was. But wrestling with this concept of well, to believe, what, what does that mean? Like I wanna believe, do I just say it enough and then that means I believe it? Like do I think about it really hard? Like how do we measure that? Like how is there, is there, like a, is there a way to like figure out if I believe enough for it to really count as belief? And as a young kid, it kind of was hard for me to grasp that. And I imagine if we'd really started to wrestle with it, it would be hard for a lot of us to really come up with some kind of reasoning for, uh, or a test for, is our belief real? Is it more than just thinking? Is it, is it more than just saying it? Is it just more than just agreeing with it? <coughs> I think uh, I think we'd be very apt this morning to I think it would be appropriate this morning um, to not limit belief to just what we say or think I think that's a, certainly an important aspect to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord I, I, I think that there's definitely the entry point of belief in acknowledgement in thinking about Jesus and thinking about him rightly but when I think about faith I think it's ultimately measured by what you do. And I'm not here trying to say that we do stuff in order to prove our salvation or that we do things here in order to earn our salvation. But if we're truly to believe Jesus, if we're going to believe in him, we have to believe in all of him, not just bits and pieces of him. We don't just get to kind of say, you know what, those things that you said about loving your enemy, those were really profound and I really like that. Or, you know, those things about peace and, and uh, you know, not worrying, man, man, I really like that about Jesus. Or even here, the, the whole, man, he'll forgive me of my sins. Like, that's huge. I like that part of Jesus. But we don't take everything else that he said, the fact that he is coming again, that he is going to come and judge wickedness. If we don't want to take the entirety of what Jesus said, the whole bit about, like, denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him, like... That's not fun. Nobody wants to just be like, woo, yeah, sign me up for that. Right? That's hard. That's not like, woo, fun and games kind of Jesus. That's like, man, this is like intense. CrossFit Jesus or something. I don't know. CrossFit, get it? Woo, joke. (laughs) Dumb. You can laugh. Uh, (laughs) and I I was just thinking about this. Whoever believes in Jesus, if I really believe him, I believe in him, and I believe him to be the son of God, and I believe that he died to save me from my sins, that's going to drastically affect every other part of my life. What I do, what I say, who I hang out with, where I go, those things are going to reflect a belief that Jesus is who he said he is or they're not. And so my, my, my thing here this morning isn't try to like get you to modify your behavior so you're like good enough to be like classified on the saved list or something like that. That's not how this works, but I believe looking and examining one's life closely, not, not the pastor doing it for you, but being honest with yourself. Looking at the thoughts and the intentions of your hearts through Scripture. Asking the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Looking at really what your life is. And asking, your, asking yourself the question, do I actually believe in Jesus? Do I believe that He is who He said He is? Is he the, the rightful king that is going to come and judge and make war on wickedness? Is he, is he really as good as he says he is? Because the way that you live your life will reflect what you say you believe. I say this, before you think I'm taking stuff out of context here, if you look at the very last verse in, in John chapter 3, and I was going to like really stretch this out and go, throughout the whole chapter and realize, I even preached my message to my wife last night, just a little bit, and thinking like, yeah, I can do this in like quick, like 15, 20 minutes. Um, There's not, there's so much in John chapter three. I'd, I'd encourage you to read it, it's profound. But we end John chapter three with verse 36, and it says here, and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Great, we've already covered that, right? Belief in Jesus, belief in God's son, equates eternal life. But it contrasts it here with anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. Or the New new King James here, depending on what version you read, will contrast that doesn't obey the Son with uh, disbelief, with those that do not believe. And so... I'm looking at this here, and it's it's a quick inference. If I believe in Jesus, I'm going to follow with a life of obedience to the ways and the teachings of Jesus. This isn't saying that you have to have a perfect scorecard, because we know that's not possible. We know that that's not happening in order to actually be saved. But the overwhelming fruit of your life is going to reflect that Jesus has done something if He has. Genuine belief is marked by action, and that's what constitutes faith. When we start thinking about faith is, the, um, you know, the, the substance of things hoped for, right? The evidence of things that's unseen. We, we, we think about those things, and I, I think that genuine belief is marked by action, is marked by a changed life. Is there something different about who you are? And I think that's evidence of faith. And I, I really liked what C.S. Lewis said here. Um, and I think he, he probably says it in a more succinct way that is uh, easy to follow, but it's just so practical, so I'm going to let him say it here. He says, "...to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice." Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. I just thought that that was uh, remarkably profound. And so the simple question that I have for us today is do you believe in Jesus? And Aaron, give me a thumbs up <laughs> as you have walked in. And I want you to really ask this question. I know a lot of us, our gut reaction is, yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. I would check that box if somebody was just giving me uh, a quiz. But I want to ask you Does your life reflect that you claim a belief in Jesus? Because it will be demonstrated with obedience to everything that He says. Not just the bits and parts that we like, but the entirety of what He says. And He says some pretty crazy things. Deny yourself. <laughs> Come after me, take up your cross. Let's put it this way I've got this chair. There's a chair. Everybody's going to remember that now, right? Adam being so proactive here, using his time at the church wisely, like seeing things that need to be fixed, like, let's link the chairs together. (laughs) Wasn't counting on that one. (laughs) Right? Now, I can look at this chair, and I know it's pretty sturdy because I just kind of beat it up. And I could believe that that thing would hold me if I put my butt in it, right? I could look at that and be like, I believe that chair would hold me. It's an entirely different thing for me to sit in the chair believing that it will hold me. I realize the stakes aren't that high here, right? <laughs> the worst that could happen to me is like, oh, I might just fall and like bruise my bum or something like that. But the reality is, with talk about Jesus, it's not enough to just think that he's good enough to save, right? It's not just enough to think, well, yeah, you are the son of God. Yeah, you did die to save people from sins. Yeah, you did love me. There's something different about just thinking that and acting upon it. In the same way that I think, man, this chair is great. This chair would hold me. It's an entirely different thing when I put my booty in the chair. (laughs) And that would be what I would encourage you friends to do is not just have this conceptual belief that Jesus is good or this conceptual kind of philosophical uh, intellectual belief that Jesus saves but move it into a place of practical belief of actually giving your life to him because in that action in that response we see things change my, my, my simple question to you today, regardless of where you've been and how long you've been serving Jesus, is if you believe in him, does your life match up with that? And if not, let's, let's revisit. Let's revisit our love and our passion for the one that we claim to, that, that claim has saved us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.